morning all, nice to see you. My name's Soph, so if I've not met you before, it's lovely to have you with us. As Ian said, we're the site pastors here of the north site of Vineyard Church, Cardiff. And uh, it's my joy to get to preach this morning. So, as Ian said, we missed you last week. We weren't here, but church was here and still going on, which is great. (laughs) Um, But we did miss you guys. We actually were up in the Lake District, which was a real treat. It was lovely. Um, And we've got some family friends, um, kind of who I sort of grew up with, who moved when I was a teenager. Devastating. But... They now run a B&B in Windermere in the Lake District, so they're very good friends to have. It was it's, it's such a treat going to get to stay with them, so that was really nice. And actually, last Sunday morning, so this time uh, last week, I was recovering from a late night going to see the Spice Girls in Manchester. <laughs> I know, you didn't know I was that cool, did you? Yeah, so um, it was amazing. It was awesome. I had a great time. And actually, don't tell the Spice Girls, but Jess Glynn, who was supporting, was way better. She's amazing. <laughs> but there we go. So it was a real treat. We had a lot of fun. And Ian wasn't there, just if anyone's wondering. I feel like he wants me to just confirm. I went with the girls. <laughs> so I'd actually not been to Manchester before, and, and the concert was in the Etihad Stadium. Uh, so we had to kind of, we were coming in from the wrong side of Manchester, so we did a bit of a tour of the ring roads. Joyful. Um, so I, didn't, I don't feel like I saw the best part of Manchester by doing that, but um, it was still cool to be there. I know it's an amazing city, and Ian and I know the wonderful couple who lead the Vineyard Church in Manchester. So I do kind of, we get updates from them about how things are going in their wonderful church. And I just took the opportunity while I was there in Manchester to just pray for that city. It was kind of slightly overwhelming being in the stadium with like thousands and thousands and thousands of people. Um, it's quite powerful and everyone's singing together, not worship songs, but still, um, just the power of like all these people together for the same reason, and the same purpose. So just took the opportunity to pray that God will bless that city. Um, and I don't mean Manchester City football team. I didn't pray for God to bless them because <laughs> they don't actually need any more help apparently. So uh, there we are. So just to confirm if anyone was concerned. Um, it's a pretty cool stadium though, I will say that. Now then, so it was lovely to be away. It was really nice to have some time with friends and it was really wet in the Lake District, but you just get on with it and make the most of it. So we had a lovely time. But you know what? Whenever we go away somewhere, when we're driving home, we just, we cheer when we see South Wales on the roadsides. We're like, yes, we're coming home. And there's just nothing quite like coming home to Cardiff because you know what? We love this city. It was cool being away, but we love coming home. We love living here, and we love being part of the community in Cardiff. We love working here. We feel so blessed to live in this incredible city. And we know that God loves this city. Just in the worship this morning, obviously, I knew what I was about to talk about. Um, I just felt just the kind of fierce love that God has for this city. It's like a protective Mama Bear, love for this city that I just felt this morning. He absolutely loves Cardiff. And many of you who are part of this church will know that our our vision as a church is that we would restore the city and renew the nation. Because we know that God loves this nation so dearly and he longs for every single person to come to know him. He longs to see broken lives restored by him. And we long to see communities that are broken just transformed by the love of God. So that 
is what we're about. So if you're new to this community, that's a bit of a flavor of what we're passionate about in this church. We are captivated by Jesus. We love him. He is incredible. And we're compelled by him to restore the city and renew the nation. We love what he loves. Our hearts ache for the things that grieve his heart. And so my talk this morning is, as Ian said, continuing in the book of Nehemiah, which is essentially the story of a man who was called by God to restore his city. And so I'd like us to consider this morning what we can learn from Nehemiah about what it looks like to restore our city. So just as a recap for where we've got to so far, as Ian said, this is the third talk. So just to whiz through what we've covered so far, Nehemiah is a book in the Old Testament. It comes just after the book of Ezra. And in fact, those two books kind of operate together. It's the same time in Israel's history. So you can kind of read them together. Uh, it's around 400 years before Jesus came to live on the earth, so that's kind of where we are in time. And it was when the Israelites, the people of God, were living in exile under the Persians, so they weren't having a brilliant time. They had been taken captive, and the city of Jerusalem had been completely destroyed. So as the people of God, they had had their total security and identity just ripped from under them, and the temple and the city walls were completely destroyed. Now, the book of Ezra talks about um, a group of people who were permitted by the Persians, who were now controlling them, to go back to Jerusalem to start to rebuild the temple. And they do have some success, uh, but they lose momentum, and the city itself is still lying in ruins. So then in Nehemiah chapter 1, we learn that he uh, himself was an Israelite and he was working as cupbearer to the king of Persia. So that's a kind of position, an interesting position of privilege, but also meant that he was the person who would taste the king's food and wine to make sure it wasn't poisoned. So touch and go. Um, but So he was in that position and then he hears about the state of Jerusalem and he is completely devastated that despite the fact some people have gone and started, it is still a total mess and he's heartbroken. So Ian kicked off the series talking about um, Nehemiah hearing this and feeling so burdened by it that he had nothing else that he could do but go to God in prayer and just lay it before him and that through that God then gave him a vision to go and rebuild the walls, to go and put it right. And when our hearts break for the things that break God's heart, prayer is the place where he can turn that burden into a vision of what we can do about it. And then the first part of chapter 2, we see that he boldly steps out in faith to ask the king if he can actually go back to Jerusalem himself to rebuild the walls. So um, Alice Mees, who's our wonderful associate pastor of the church and also site pastor of our central site, uh, she was here last week and spoke on this passage and looked at how Nehemiah took a serious risk in asking that of the king, but that God's favour was on him, and he was successful, so much so that the king actually sent him with some resources and some of his cavalry as well on the way back to Jerusalem. So Nehemiah's gone from being burdened and heartbroken to seeking God in prayer, to having a vision, having this picture of what could be, and he steps out in faith, and he's taken a risk, and he's starting to see it come to fruition. 
So today we're going to pick up the story in the second part of Nehemiah chapter 2. So if you have got a Bible with you, why don't you turn there now, chapter 2 in Nehemiah. If you don't have a Bible, don't worry, the words will be on the screen as well so you can follow along. But as Ian said, please do pick one up on the way out. We would love to give you a Bible. So Nehemiah chapter 2, 11 to 18. It says this. I went to Jerusalem... And after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me, except the one I was riding on. By night, I went out through the valley gate towards the jackal well and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down, and its gates which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved on towards the fountain gate and the king's pool, But there was not enough room for my mount to get through, so I went up the valley by night, examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, because as yet I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or nobles or officials or any others who would be doing the work. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. They replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. So, as I said earlier, what I'd like us to consider this morning is what can we learn from Nehemiah, and what can we learn from this passage about what it looks like for us to restore our city? So the first thing I think that's very clear from this passage is that Nehemiah is not in it for the glory. Because despite arriving in Jerusalem with timber from the king's wood and some of the king of Persia's cavalry, he doesn't actually appear to be drawing attention to himself because he stays for three days before he does anything. And then when he does, he goes out at night and he hasn't told people what he's doing. Now, I think given the situation that the city was in, he could have rocked up like a superhero with trumpet sounds and said, I'm here to save the day. He could have donned his cape and put on his superhero pants and said, it's okay, I'm here, I'm going to sort it out. It's all going to be fine now, guys, because I have arrived. But he does the opposite. And I think this speaks of a real humility in his character that I really admire. He is a man with a vision from God on a mission for God, and he doesn't make it about himself. And I think it's important for us to hold on to that when we seek to be a blessing in this city. Um, A few weeks ago, when a number of us took part in Love Cardiff projects across the city, we weren't doing it to make Vineyard Church famous. We were doing it as a signpost pointing towards the king and his kingdom. So the team picking up litter and praying for people in Ely weren't out to make themselves look good. It was there to demonstrate the servant heart of our God who loves this city and the people who live here. And the team who were washing cars and offering to pray for their community in Thornhill weren't doing that to make a name for themselves. It was to point towards the God who makes all things new, who washes us clean and who cares about every detail of our lives. We want to be captivated by Jesus and compelled by his love to do the things that we do. And our motivation to restore the city comes from having our hearts broken for the things that break God's heart. 
We have a vision from him and we're on a mission for him. And I believe we're called to adopt a position of humility, seeking to serve our city and demonstrate the heart of God, who's the servant king and the God who restores rather than just trying to impress the city into new life. So that's the first thing that I think we can learn from Nehemiah here. He's not in it for his own glory. He's in it for God's glory. And the second thing I think we pick up in this passage is that Nehemiah took the time to survey the city and assess the damage. So in verse 13, he says, By night I went out through the valley gate toward the jackal well and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down, and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. Now, the word examining here comes from the Hebrew word meaning to examine or inspect or even in medical terms to kind of probe, to really inspect and carefully examine a wound. So it's not just a cursory glance, a five-minute look from the distance, right, I think this is what's going on. It's an intentional and detailed inspection. It's the level that you would expect from a medical professional examining a patient and making a diagnosis. Out of interest, how many of us here have broken a bone at some point in our lives? That's, yeah, quite a few. I thought there'd be quite a few. Yeah, so I wasn't a sporty child. You may be shocked to learn. Uh, and I'm, I'm not sporty now. That's why that's funny if you don't know me. I'm definitely not sporty. Um, and I wasn't necessarily a huge risk taker either. I was probably a fairly sensible child, sensible Sophie. Uh, so I managed to stay out of trouble and out of A&E for the majority of my childhood. But... My downfall came, a very literal downfall, uh, when I was 16 and I was taking part in a charity fashion show that we did in our sixth form. So we took it pretty seriously. Groups of us had choreographed dances. Um, it was a lot of fun. In the middle of the dress rehearsal, I was doing our dance to ABBA, Gimme, Gimme, Gimme. It was great. Uh, I was dancing very enthusiastically uh, and I tripped over my friend's foot and I went flying backwards and fell off the stage. Um, it was the dress rehearsal, so there's no audience, thankfully. Um, so this is probably three foot off the ground, and then we think adding in sort of my own height and enthusiasm, uh, I probably fell about six foot onto a solid hardwood school hall floor. Um, so safe to say, I made quite the spectacle. People didn't know whether to laugh or be really frightened. Um, and I landed in a sitting position with my hands out behind me, and I just I couldn't move, I think probably mainly from shock um, and embarrassment. Uh, so an ambulance was called as a precaution, um, and I was strapped to a stretcher and wheeled out of the school, which is just every 16-year-old girl's dream. <laughs> uh, so... Then at the hospital, I saw the triage nurse and waited to see the doctor. And I remember this kind of big, burly doctor coming to see me. And he was just so nonchalant. I was like, oh, you're probably fine. I do this all the time playing rugby. I was like, do I look like I play rugby? <laughs> like, this doesn't happen to me all the time. And he's like, well, I suppose I should send you for some x-rays just to make sure. But I'm pretty sure you'll be fine. Um, and he made me walk to the x-ray department uh, because he was, he was sure that would be good for me. So I'm like limp over for my x-ray. I was probably making a bit of a scene by this point, being a bit of a diva. Um, so I limp over there, had some x-rays done of my pelvis and my wrists, and stood then sit waiting for a while. And lo and behold, thankfully, thank God, I had not done any lasting damage to my pelvis, which was our fear. Um, but I had actually broken my left wrist. And the doctor had an expression when he had it up on the light box thing, looking at it. He was like, was not expecting that. <laughs> So uh, 
And then he told me quite unsympathetically that then I needed to go to the fracture clinic and get a plaster cast. And my reaction was, can I get a plaster cast that will match my dress for the Christmas ball? Because otherwise it's just going to ruin it. So uh, that's what I thought was important as a 16-year-old. But anyway, thank goodness he did check because it did then need to be fixed. Now, let me just be absolutely clear. I have the utmost respect for the medical profession. I know a number of us here are doctors, nurses, midwives, and not many of us can say that we work directly with matters of life and death, so praying for you guys. It's an incredibly tough job, and this doctor did do his job because he did check. Even though he thought I was probably fine, he did check and he made sure. He didn't just look me up and down from a distance and go, no, you're fine, go home. And when a doctor makes a diagnosis, they speak to the patient, if they can, to find out what seems to be wrong, find out what hurts. And then they examine the patient and run some tests to find out what isn't the way that it should be. And I think it's this kind of detailed, focused examination that Nehemiah tells us he's carrying out on the city's walls. He's making a diagnosis, he's ass assessing the extent of the damage and taking his time to work out exactly what's wrong. And I think we are called to do the same kind of examination on our own city, to find out what hurts, to find out what's broken, to work out what is not the way that it should be. So what does that involve? Firstly, I think it means that we need to have our eyes and ears open to what's going on around us. How can we restore the city if we don't actually even know the city? And one of the most helpful ways I've found to keep tabs on what's going on in our city, to kind of take its temperature, if you like, is actually through Facebook. So particularly since we moved to Lanishin and we've launched this site, I felt compelled to know what's going on in our community. And I followed a number of pages on Facebook, including all of our local councillors, um, some local events pages, and there's some community groups as well, which just include everything from missing pets and stolen bikes uh, to invitations to school fairs and local businesses promoting their products. Um, there has also been some debate recently in our area because the harvester has closed down in Clannishan and there's rumours that it might become a McDonald's. <laughs> and it has divided the community. <laughs> now, I won't tell you which side of the debate we're on, but I will say that Ian has deliberately been driving that way just to pray for the Lord's favour. <laughs> So, and in the words of one of our neighbours, sometimes you just need a McFlurry. <laughs> but there we are. So, but speaking of keeping up with local councillors, I think in our talk a couple of weeks ago, Ian and I mentioned that um, when we were launching the site, Ian had a meeting with one of our councillors just to find out, like, what is going on in this area? How, as a new community based up here, can we be a blessing? Um, and that's where that conversation started about the lack of provision for young people, particularly in our area. And we believe that God is burdening us for, and sort of releasing a vision for how we can love and rewrite the stories of young people in our area. So that's something I'd love to just encourage us all to be doing. You may already feel totally on top of what's going on in the area where you live. Um, but if you don't, why don't you kind of work out how you can keep up to date with the local news, with what's going on. Um, there's kind of summer fates and things going on in different communities. Why don't you go to one of those? Why don't you pick up your local paper? There's a magazine that we always try and pick up in the little Sainsbury's near us. We don't live in Rabina, but we pick up Rabina Living anyway, <laughs> just to see what's going on. Um, 
And why don't you see if you can keep up to date with particularly your local councillors? Because that's a really good way to know what are some of the issues? What, what could you be praying for? And we are called to pray for our leaders, after all. So just an encouragement there. Equally, I think there are things and ways that we can seek to understand the needs of our city on a broader level as well. Um, did you know that Cardiff ranks in the top 10 most livable cities in Europe? So people are generally satisfied with their lives here and the cost of living is reasonably good. And do you know what? You don't need to tell me twice that this is a great place to live. I'm forever going on about how wonderful this city is to anybody who will listen. We're trying to get all of our family to move to Cardiff. It would also just cut down on the petrol. But um, we think they would be very happy here too. But at the same time, did anyone see the programme a couple of weeks ago on the BBC about the state of homelessness in Cardiff? It was heartbreaking. The number of people sleeping rough in our city is the worst that it's been for decades. And walking through the town centre, Christmas shopping, just the number of tents that people are living in, it's shocking. And nearly a third of households in Cardiff, so that's over 41,000 homes, are deemed to be living in poverty. So it's one of the most livable cities in Europe, and yet all of this is happening on our doorstep. And as I said, we're captivated by Jesus and compelled by his love. And when he began his ministry, he declared that the kingdom of God was at hand. And he read aloud this scripture from Isaiah. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That was Jesus' mandate, and that was our mandate. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about restoring the city. The Spirit of the Lord is on us to proclaim good news to the poor. The Spirit of the Lord is on us to declare the year of the Lord's favor. And we want to demonstrate the good news, inviting people into the kingdom and seeing lives restored. So we're called to understand the needs of our city. And as we've learned so far from Nehemiah, Understanding the needs of our city can then lead to a burden. It can lead to a holy discontent where we're not satisfied with the status quo. And then through prayer, God can turn that burden into a vision, into a picture of what could be. And then through risk and through God's favor, that can start to become a reality. So what is God putting on your heart for our city? What are your dreams for our city? Maybe it is to see homelessness eradicated and people lifted out of the cycle of poverty. Maybe it's to see communities restored with lonely people brought into family. Or maybe it's to see young people thriving and believing in themselves and choosing life rather than the path to destruction. And I appreciate it can feel overwhelming when we think about a whole city or even a whole nation. It's overwhelming, but we can actually break it down into the streets where we live or the offices where we work, the schools or the factories where we work, the supermarkets, we love Morrisons, the supermarkets or the high streets where we shop. It can be as simple as starting with the people right in front of you. And we love that people in this community are actively seeking to get to know their neighbours because what better way to understand the needs of our city than to do life with the people around you? People don't necessarily always have an obvious hurt like a city with broken walls that you can see. We can't always see the damage. 
But people are living with broken hearts, broken trust, broken relationships, broken families. And I'm also aware that some of us might feel like that at the moment as well. Some of us might be living with some brokenness. And we're all a work in progress. But I just want to say, don't let that stop you then from trying to understand the needs of others and trying to extend the hope that we have. Because often it can be from a place of sharing our own vulnerabilities and our own pain with people and then pointing them towards the hope that we have in Jesus that can be a really powerful witness. We don't have to have it all together to give it all away. That's on Alan Scott. Can't do a preach without quoting him at the moment. We don't have to have it all together to give it all away. So if you don't feel like you have a vision for our city, that is absolutely fine. But why don't you just start by asking God to give you a vision for your neighbours or for one colleague and just start praying? Nehemiah took the time to examine and understand the brokenness of the city walls. And I believe we are called to take the time to understand the brokenness of our city and the lives of those who call it their home. We don't just stand on the sidelines and make a cursory glance and just make assumptions. And once we understand the brokenness of our city, we're called to get on our knees in prayer and then be willing to roll up our sleeves and get our hands dirty. So as we see in the final part of this passage, I believe we're then called to, get, called to do it together with the city. So in verses 17 to 18, Nehemiah says, Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. They replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. So in the same way that Nehemiah doesn't swoop in wearing his superhero cape and announce that he's here to save the day, he doesn't go and examine the walls and find out what's wrong and then just announce and present an action plan of what his team of experts are going to do for the city. And he doesn't point at the officials in the city and say, these are the problems, now you deal with it. He says, this is the problem, let us fix it together. So he's not a hero and a know-it-all. He comes as a servant willing to give his all. And I believe we're called to do the same. When it comes to restore the city, I believe we're called to serve and partner with the city. As we've said before, we'd love to explore what it could look like to partner maybe with schools in the area to love and bless young people. And Love Cardiff was about serving our city and demonstrating Jesus' love in a practical way, essentially washing the feet of the city. And Justin shared an update on our storehouse project a couple of weeks ago, and it's wonderful to hear that there are agencies all over Cardiff who refer people to our project so that we can work together with them to restore hope and restore dignity to the lives of people who are in need. We're partnering with our city So we don't turn a blind eye and we don't think, oh, they can get on with it. It comes down to identifying ourselves as part of the city. This is our city. This is our home. And if the city is broken, then it's our problem to fix. If God cares about the city, then so do we. Our hearts break for the things that break his heart. 
We don't turn a blind eye and leave it to someone else. We say, come, let us rebuild the walls together. And we get to partner with God in the process. We only do what we see the Father doing. And in doing so, we get to demonstrate the kingdom of God and point towards the Father in heaven who's in the business of restoring lives. We get to partner with our city and point towards our Father in heaven. So, in finishing, what do we learn from Nehemiah about restoring the city? Firstly, we see that it's not about making a name for ourselves, but about pointing people towards the name above all names. Secondly, we see the importance of taking the time to understand and examine and get to know the needs of the city. And finally, we're reminded that we're called to serve and partner with the city, and we do it together. We absolutely love Cardiff, and we know that God loves Cardiff, and he longs to see lives restored and broken communities rebuilt. So like Nehemiah, let's take the time to understand the needs of the city and then be prepared to roll up our sleeves and work together to restore the city. So I'd love to pray in finishing, if you're up for it. So I'd love to invite you to stand, if you're able to.